Hello and welcome to Dr. What Now with me, Zoe Valbray, and me, Ines Pinheiro. This is the show that explores the exciting world of post-PhD careers in life sciences. Each episode, we chat to a special guest who has left academia and successfully transitioned to a different career path. We hope that these career insights can help you see what opportunities are out there after your PhD. Before we start, you can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram with the handle at doctor underscore what now and on our website www.drwhatnow.com. And now let's jump into this episode. So hello everyone. Today I have the pleasure to talk to Dr. Dimitri Kopelansky, who holds a MD in preventive medicine from Moscow Medical Academy in Russia and also a PhD in innate immunity and inflammation from the University of Lausanne. Uh, in between, Dimitri went on a research journey, acquiring experience uh, at University of Jerusalem, Israel, and also University of Bonn in Germany, where he did his uh, master thesis. So during his PhD, uh, Dimitri was actively involved in the organization of educational and social events, as well as distinguished himself as an award-winning science communicator and public speaker. After his PhD, uh, Dimitri joined uh, Hyatt Therapeutics, which is a startup pioneering the discovery of genomic uh, therapies for fibrotic diseases and is currently the business and corporate development uh, project manager uh, and uses its communication and analytical skills to help the company maintain its uh, exponential growth. So um, I guess when you are not running from call after call, what uh, Dimitri really likes to, to do is to go hiking and traveling around by car with his wife and he also likes a lot to play chess board games and uh, and watch good uh, thriller movies so welcome dimitri to the doctor what now podcast um i'm very glad to to have you here with us on board and i guess uh, uh, let's begin um actually let's begin with the with your experience before uh higher therapeutics so you you had a, an intense training as an MD um, in preventive medicine, and then you decided to pursue a PhD, I guess, to be closer to the basic science and, and biology. And I would like to ask you what was actually the, the driving force. And you can also, of course, introduce a bit more yourself. Hi. Hi, Ness. Thank you very much for uh, your invitation, for having me here. Hi, everyone who's listening. It's a pleasure to be on Dr. What Now podcast. Mm -hmm. So yeah, my my educational journey really started uh, more than 10 years ago, actually more than 15 years ago, really. Uh, yeah, in, in Moscow, where I'm originally from, I studied preventive medicine and then specialized in epidemiology. And then somewhere at the end of my studies, I didn't really know what I want to do next. And then there was this course on tropical medicine and uh, tropical diseases. And I got really fascinated by the idea of going in tropical countries and studying these diseases, maybe curing patients. So I, I started working as a junior research um, associate at the um, Institute of Tropical Medicine in Russia. And then I, during the time I realized that, okay, it's, it's very, very interesting, but there are not so many tropical diseases in Russia. And so I, I really wanted to explore that field and challenge myself also. I, I had the urge to go somewhere abroad and uh, uh, and see what it's like to live abroad, to work or study in another language and really test myself in this way. So I, I found this mm, lab in University of um, Jerusalem in Israel that was focusing on tropical diseases. And basically, I just sent them email saying, hi, I'm, I live in Moscow. I studied medicine, preventive medicine, and I'm very interested in tropical diseases. Could you send me something to read and surprisingly they replied they sent me some articles and then sometime later i i was gonna go to israel to visit a friend so i just sent them a mail saying hi i'm gonna be in town 
would it be okay for me to come and visit your your lab, your research center? And they said, okay. So I came there and then there was this nice professor. He met me at the bus stop and he showed me around, showed me the lab, showed me the cafeteria and the library. It was very, very nice, very welcoming. And then I just, on that spot, I just asked him, I would be super happy to work here, to do like internship. Would this would this be possible? So he, he was a bit shocked, but then he said, okay, uh, maybe I need to ask around, but why don't you go back? Uh, translate your diplomas, send them back to us, and then we'll find a way. And I did that. And then another professor he said, oh, yeah, I can take uh, you as a visiting scientist, So, but I cannot fund your stay here. So I found a scholarship. I had some savings. And I didn't know really what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do there. But uh, I knew that it's going to be something new, something big potentially for me. And I just jumped into this. And that's that's it was really the beginning. Like my whole yeah. career up to now started from from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really the willingness to search for the for the opportunity and search for even the funding. So I mean, it really uh, drives your your path forward by yourself. So it's it's, it's really great. like. Creating your own opportunity, Creating your, yeah, r- exactly. rather than waiting for it to come to, to you. Come. Yeah, which sometimes happens. I mean, people are lucky as well. But I guess, yeah, you have to search for it as well. So it's a good, yeah, good yeah. piece of advice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that were really that really kind of opened the world of science and molecular biology to me. So I ended up working in the molecular biology lab. It was really my first experience holding a pipette, working in a biological hood with cell cultures. And it was very different from everything I studied before. So I tried to learn as much as I can. Uh, and eventually, initially I went there for five months, but then it became almost two years. And so I participated in several different projects. They included me in some papers. So it was really a lot, a great opportunity to learn, really to learn and explore and also be involved in this international environment, scientific environment of, you know, scientists from all over the world coming, doing, you know, PhD in one country, postdoc in another country. So I really like that that lifestyle, Experience. that vibe. Yeah. On, on top of the on top of the biology and the science and the world of molecular biology, which was extremely fascinating for me at that time. So I kind of started to reconsider what I want to do in life, and I decided that I really want to be a scientist. I want to pursue a career in biomedical science and research in that field of tropical diseases. But also, I knew that I, I like the background. I like the necessary, you know, fundamental education to go directly into PhD. I even applied for some PhD positions, but uh, on the interviews, uh, I couldn't really understand some of the questions. It was really funny. Uh, I, I knew that I don't have the background. So I thought, okay, maybe I should go back and do master first. And I was basically searching where can I do it in English and for free. And uh, Germany suddenly was a good option. And then I got accepted in the University of Bonn in Germany. Uh, I had never been to Germany before. I had very little understanding uh, what's going to be there. But I knew again, so this is a great opportunity and I just need to jump into this. Um, when I when I started there, I realized that I don't really have the basics. It was a really stressful period actually in my life because mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't really understand what they were talking about. Like because I didn't I didn't have the basic background in medical biology. So I really lived in the library yeah, yeah. And, and had to catch up very fast yeah at least it was in english i mean otherwise in german, german yeah. would be another challenge I but guess. that was really great experience of like changing myself and understanding that with the right commitment with the right attitude mm-hmm. you can really do everything so yeah. i was lucky to you know we have now youtube nowadays with lots of public lectures from top schools mm-hmm. 
you know, and that really helped. So I really studied hard there and eventually passed all the exams with good grades and learned a lot. Uh, and then my plan was still to stay in the area of tropical medicine, tropical disease, and do my master thesis in that field. But in the University of Bonn, they didn't have a lab specializing on that. So again, I, I was just Googling research labs, focusing on, on these tropical diseases, sending them my CV, email, saying I'm very interested in your work. I want to come and do my master thesis in your lab. And I had discussions with different professors from Brazil, from Canada, but the real option arised from University of Lausanne. And again, I had never been to Switzerland before. I had very little understanding what's there. I really liked it here. I liked the lab, mm -hmm. the lab of Professor Nicola Fazel in UNIL. Uh, and somewhere in the middle of this master thesis, I came to him and I said, I really like it here. I want to do my PhD in your lab. Is this possible? And then he said, yes. And then I stayed for another five years. <laughs> yeah, it really, you know, instead of have, having this add-on thing, going and search for you, you're, it's really the other way around. You really search for the opportunities and the right people to, to be on your side and supporting your, your, yeah. your dreams, you know, because all of these uh, are small dreams that you just um, fight for to, to make them real. So, yeah, it's really nice to, to hear about the, the journey, like, uh, from, from your side. I didn't know about all this uh, nuances and ups and downs and and how did you get there so it's, it's very interesting yeah I, i didn't really have a clear plan like yeah. for me i just at some point i was thinking okay that that is something i want to do and i'm gonna try to do the best i can to make this possible right here right now and then mm -hmm. one thing led to another and then yeah. yeah and then during my phd uh i realized that i really love to talk about science and as much as i love research Uh, I enjoy really explaining, like taking complex scientific concepts and distilling them into clear, simple. So, um, and then um, I also realized that I like public speaking. That's a, that's a separate story how I came to this conclusion. But basically, I was doing a lot of um, science communication in parallel with my PhD. Uh, what, and... what kind of activities can you can you describe a bit for us? Yeah. So. So really soft skills, I think they're very important. So that's maybe jumping to a, a more general, like what helped me to transition mm -hmm. from academia into industry is really the development of the soft skills. And in my case, there was uh, science communication and public speaking skills. And actually the importance of this uh, skill, I realized uh, during my time in Germany, during my master's thesis. So I remember the first time I had to do a public presentation about science in English, and there was It was really, really bad. So, like, I didn't really know the topic very well. I was super stressed. I made some slides, but I couldn't really understand the basic concept. I didn't have enough time to prepare. Uh, so, I remember I was standing in front of my class, and I was sweating and shaking, and uh, and my voice was trembling. It was absolute disaster. <laughs> and just, like, trying to hide myself from, from the class, I turned... Um, I turned to to the screen and basically spent most of the presentation with my with the audience only seeing my back and I was just reading my slides, <laughs> shaking and with a trembling voice. It felt like absolute horror nightmare. And so when finally I I finished this and I turned back to my classmates, they all had the same facial expression, which was like a face palm face, <laughs> you know. Um, And it was really, really bad. And then the, the professor there, he he tried to cheer me up. So he said, oh, Dmitry, that's okay. I've seen worse presentations. Don't worry. 
So that <laughs> really made me feel a bit worse. It felt like, okay, if he said that, it means he had never seen anything worse. So I, I felt really bad that day. I thought that I just cannot uh, present, make a presentation about science in English. Yeah. You know, it's just not my thing. It's, you know, fear of public speaking is a very common fear. Yeah. And then I made a kind of conscious decision to improve and do something about this. And then I realized that the only way to do it is by practicing, practicing, practicing. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And like getting out of your comfort zone and doing it again and again and again. And slowly I realized that, yes, if you, if you know what you're talking about, if you can break it down and structure it, you can do it very well. And then eventually I became quite good at this. So then later when I was in Switzerland during my PhD, I was the first one to raise my hand and say, I, I want to go to a conference and present. And I want to, I want to get on stage and present mm -hmm. and um, yeah. And then it became kind of um, one of my favorite activities during PhD is going to conferences and mm -hmm. talking about my research or in general research uh, of our lab. Yeah. And naturally, how, how did you actually improve your, your communication skills? You, you got some training during your master's or yes. you just learn so by doing up to, up, up to that point, there was nothing specific I was doing. I didn't really like all uh, I knew that I just need to practice and structure it, break it down to little pieces, but I wasn't really working on, on that skill specifically. Just mm -hmm. what happened somewhere in the middle okay. of my PhD, I participated in a science communication competition called FameLab, mm -hmm. where, where you need to explain the research topic in just three minutes without any slides uh, to the general audience. So you really need to focus on the main idea, on the key point. And I really had a great idea how to explain what I'm doing, what my project was. And I just uh, signed up for this uh, competition and surprisingly I won it. And then I won another one and kind of, you know, the, the snowball started rolling down. And the more I was doing this, the more I was like researching on how to communicate science, how to make uh, presentations. And there's a lot of materials online. I took some kind of courses and I just was meeting a lot of people who were doing the same thing so we were kind of exchanging information with them so it became very natural in a way uh, and then the more I was doing this the, the, I realized that this is what I really enjoy and this is what I'm kind of good at so I started just applying for every every event every public outreach event where you know people were organizing knowledge sharing events and they were looking for speakers to talk about science to general audience so i started applying for these events for science communication competitions like science slam for example and i ended up doing a lot of these gigs and getting very good feedback or mm -hmm. or prizes and uh, that gave me also confidence that i can do it well yeah and now going uh, into the transition um side of things how did you actually um, decide the, the next steps and how all this experience that you had during your career as a as a scientist uh, really defined your your next steps yeah i didn't really have a clear plan like what i'm going to do is really what i was saying one thing was leading to another so during my phd i was uh, in you know doing all these uh, presentations all this Geek, so I really knew that, okay, so science communication and the public speaking is probably the best skill I've got. Uh -huh. And I need to build on this skill. I need to leverage this. And then I also wanted, so I, all, on all, all of these events, I was meeting a lot of people who were organizing them. So I could see also how, how hard this type of work is to organize and run this event. So I wanted also to get this experience. So I started organizing similar type of events for our department, for PhD students, career events, workshops. Uh, and just uh, social events like uh, movie nights, for example. And so during all of these activities, I was meeting a lot of people. And then 
Yeah, I also organized the Pint of Science Festival. So that's a really great experience that I had. So this is a scientific festival where scientists go to bars and then they present their science to general audience and everybody's having a beer. And it's really worldwide event happening in May, I think, every year across different countries. So I organized uh, this festival in Lausanne. So it was a really great experience of kind of making your own conference. So I had to find a venue, I had to find the speakers, make a program, find a team of volunteers. Uh, it was a really great, great experience doing this project from A to Z. And so during some of the career events that I organized, I met a founder and a CEO of High Therapeutics. And at the time, the company was just two people. So I later invited him to be a speaker at the Pint of Science Festival. And it was really uh, great to have him during this event. So we really kept in touch. And so by the time I finished my PhD, the company started to grow and it was an opportunity for me to join. Wow. So it's really the networking. So the network, the network I built during all these side activities mm -hmm. that I did outside of the lab in parallel with my PhD. Mm -hmm. So you're not really questioning yourself about whether I want to go to a, to a small environment like biotech or big pharma. You just, you're driven by connections and maybe I like this, this person, I might like the environment and this is what I want to do next and, and keep doing a science communication in a way. And you, you felt there was a, a place for you there. So what I'm asking is whether you, yeah. you had a specific idea or it was really the networking driving you forward. Um, no, I, I knew that I want to leave academia and I want mm -hmm. to go to, to industry. Uh, and I was, okay, so I wanted to do something where my soft skills can be used, but where I can also use my scientific acumen and the knowledge. And at the same time, I wanted to learn more about uh, business aspects of science or how science and finance meet and you know really the industry side but not from the you know lab side from the lab from the side of management strategy decision making process business mm -hmm. development so that was also i communicated to the um, to the founder and ceo of haya when we had a discussion and there was an opportunity to start as an intern there first and that's really where also my science communication skills became useful because my first task was to write a grant application where i had to you know talk about the research topic which wasn't really you know connected to my phd so i had very also limited understanding of that so i had to read literature understand connect the dots really and put it within the framework of what the company is doing the the technology of the company and make kind of business proposal of of this grant and i'm happy to say yeah that the, our application was successful and we received uh, 1.6 million Swiss francs from Swiss Innovation Agency that we're using them now for um, research project in oncology that we have, that we're doing in collaboration with uh, University Hospital of Lausanne. Mm -hmm. Cool. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about Hyatt Therapeutics, the company itself, like the, what's, the, what's the main goal in the market? What is the problem sure. you are actually trying to solve and, and the solution? So, so at Hyatt, we really creating new types of genomic medicines by exploring what so-called dark matter of the human genome. So I believe most of the audience is familiar with so-called central dogma of molecular biology. So we have our genetic code, DNA, and there are the genes. So genes um, is the information how to make proteins. So in order to make proteins, the, each gene needs to be transcribed first into the, into the RNA molecule, messenger RNA, which is then serves as the instruction for your cellular machinery to make the protein. So this central dogma of molecular biology is the only true for 2% of your DNA. 
So 98% of the DNA do not code for proteins. So when scientists discovered that, they were really shocked because it's only 2%. So the rest, 98% of the DNA do not code for proteins. And this non-coding portion was termed first junk DNA. But if you think about this, how come 98% of your DNA be junk, right? So then they termed it dark matter of the human genome because it's very mysterious and nobody really knows what it's doing. So slowly, uh, we at High and also others are starting to understand more and more what this 98% do. So the reality is that most of this non-coding portion of the genome is still transcribed into RNA. And these RNA molecules, they regulate a lot of different processes in the cell, and they really can tell proteins where to go and what to do. So, for example, they can bind to a protein and change its uh, uh, conformational structure, therefore turning its function on or off. They can also serve as a scaffold for several proteins to assemble together into a complex. Or they can guide and recruit proteins, for example, bringing them from cytoplasm into the nuclei. And the great thing about this non-coding RNA molecules is that they can do all of that with a very high degree of tissue, cell type, and disease specificity. So think about this. You have a pathological process uh, which leads to a, a progression of a certain disease. And this pathological process is driven by gene signaling, Uh, which is led by some of these proteins. So these proteins would be present in many different tissues uh, and many different cell types, but only in one particular tissue where your your pathological process is happening, they will be active, they will be working. (laughs) Because you have a specific RNA molecule which makes this protein uh, work in this specific tissue. So if you want to stop this process, you can design a drug against uh, against this protein, for example, and you give this drug systemically to a patient. So it go to it would go to every cell in the body. You would have the activity in your tissue of interest, but you will have a lot of unwanted activity in other healthy tissues where this protein is needed, where it's not involved in this pathological process. So you will have so-called on-target activity in off-target tissue. So you will have toxicity. So think about this, uh, like if a human body is really a busy city like in New York where every car in the city is a protein and every and every intersection is like a is like a tissue or an organ so you have a busy highways busy neighborhoods intersections which are different organs on different tissues and so let's say in one part of the city in one neighborhood on one intersection you have a problem caused by buses and so you you want to stop this problem and you want to stop this bus from working in this particular intersection, right? So you can ban the buses in the entire city. And yes, you will solve the problem in this particular region, but at the same time, uh, you will also ban buses in the entire city. And that, that will be a problem because these buses are needed in other neighborhoods, in other parts of the city. So instead of doing this, we can identify a traffic light at this particular intersection on in this particular neighborhood that tells the buses turn left or right or go straight. And we can turn off only this traffic light. And this is really the whole advantage of targeting long-coding RNAs because they're specific to certain tissues, certain cell types, under certain stress conditions. Well, that's uh, the real uh, pitch. <laughs> and so you are now targeting more cardiovascular disease, but I guess the um, 
the big picture in terms of disease targeting is fibrotic disease, so even including cancer, right? So for now, we're focusing on this transition of fibroblast into myofibroblast. Mm-hmm. So fibrosis is a pathological process across different tissues. So we also have projects in pulmonary fibrosis, mm-hmm. liver fibrosis, uh, kidney fibrosis. Mm-hmm. And we also, as I mentioned, we have a project in, in tumor microenvironment where we targeting cancer-associated fibroblasts. So really, you know, cancer is not just a, the tumor is not, it's not just one cell, one right? Cell. So it's really yeah. like a organ which mm-hmm. lives on its own and has a, has a lot of uh, different cells inside it that really all communicate with each other. Okay. So there are cancer cells, there are immune cells, and there are these fibroblasts, so-called cancer-shaded fibroblasts. And so what they do, they can really communicate with the cancer cells, but they can also create this fibrotic tissue, which kind of shelters the tumor, makes this kind of cocoon, Protective. and blocks Immunized. the tumor from potential chemotherapy or uh, immunotherapy, blocks the entry of this yeah. medicine. So the idea there is to make some sort of um, combinatorial treatment where we would make the entry of this chemotherapy or immune therapy easier by reducing the amount of this fibrotic tissue and also targeting cancer-free fibroblasts themselves. Mm-hmm. So I guess now, um, still in, in this transition, uh, I mean, you have trained as a scientist, hardcore uh, scientists in the lab, um, a lot of basic science, also translational, I would say. Um, but suddenly you decide to go into more um, BD roles, project management. Um, and now I would say you, you wear different ads. Um, and I, I'm wondering how did you actually uh, gain all these um, transferable skills during your PhD to actually be able to succeed in these different areas, especially when you are actually starting a company where they really need a lot of expertise to to drive projects forward and and to have to to make them successful. Yeah. So when I started at Chaya, so I was really wearing many different hats. It wasn't only the BD. Mm-hmm. As I said, I was writing grants. Um, scientific as well. Right. I was uh, doing scientific and corporate communication. So really working with our scientists to kind of streamline their their stories, their scientific stories. Um, then the company was growing a lot. So I was kind of wearing a head of HR. So I was interviewing people and it was really great experience being on the other side of the table now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, interacting with potential um, candidates. And then, yeah, so I was supporting, uh, still supporting our CEO and our acting head of business development type of a CBO uh, on all the meetings and material preparation. So business development involves many different aspects. So one of them, for example, is um, market research and competitive intelligence. So we're not only company working in this area, so we need to understand who are competitors what's their science, what's the difference, why are we better, uh, and in which aspect we're better, and, you know, what, what's what's really the difference. So um, that's one thing. So the other thing is really studying the, the disease area. Okay, for example, we want to start a new project and a new indication. What are the materials needed there? What are there publicly available data sets? on sequencing data, uh, are there animal models? What are the animal models? What are the regulatory aspects? So there's a lot of analytics and strategy, and some of it is still part of my work right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it still has a, a big scientific component, I would say, in a lot of research, and uh, but of in, course, uh, of course uh, in another setting, not uh, in, the, in the bench, but instead in the, in the corporate uh, environment. 
um, when you transitioned, did, did you get any extra training or it was learning by doing and um, you got to, to understand how, how, what was your role while, while you were actually doing it? So it was really all the training that I had was all these, you know, side activities side. in mm -hmm. communication and event management. Okay. And that was really the, I mean, I did a couple of courses on project management, but I wouldn't say that was really critical. Okay. It was really like learning on a job. And then, mm -hmm. of course, I'm still learning every day. So there are some courses I'm, I'm doing right now more related to finance to understand like basic aspects of finance, such as, you know, cash flows and present value, net present value and terms like this to understand really the how money work really mm -hmm. yeah the real bd language yeah, i mean yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay um i think we always ask um, we are always curious about the day at work and what does a, a day look like for you uh so i yeah i would like to ask you that what's a typical day at work for you yes. in general from from nine to five let's say <laughs> a yeah. bit later because i guess you have meetings uh, quite late with uh, overseas so yeah we work a lot with, mm. with the us so mm. for me i often have late meetings so really the um, the day of work would be a lot of meetings and emails calls sometimes brainstorming meetings and then analytics material preparation preparation of slides kind of investigating okay uh what pharma companies are working in this field what potential or, or what partnerships has this pharma company done in recent years with smaller biotech or startups what were the aspects of this partnership deals in terms of structure in terms of financial aspect or analyzing potential competitors i um for a few months we had an intern that was really supporting me with, with this so i also was supervising him uh, great experience also to supervise uh, in that area mm -hmm. and then going to conferences and interacting with people interacting with investors pitching uh, at some career events sometimes uh, but also in interaction with investors and potential pharma partner okay i guess in um, my idea of a startup is that is it's you have a of course a more direct and immediate impact than than in academia and I, you also work in a in a fast-paced environment this is very exciting of course but i was wondering because biotech is a smaller environment do you get to have access to from a to c to everything what's going on and to have um meetings even with the with the people who are actually doing the the real science in the in the bench um do you get to be involved in this decision making process next steps in terms of preclinical development or you are really focused on on this uh, area of uh, bd and product management i would say first year when i joined the company was still relatively small so we were okay. maybe 10 15 people and i was more involved in all other projects but right now we are more than 35 okay so you can be more focused yeah yeah and now my work is more focused on mm. uh, on business development aspects okay. um one question that, that we always ask as well is uh, what are your roses and thorns so what do you actually enjoy most about your daily job and uh, what you like less <laughs> So I really enjoy more like a creative aspect where I need okay. to come up with the way to communicate this or that information or creating a story. So that's probably the most enjoyable part and obviously the the communication part. So either when I have to make a presentation 
or just interact with people. So the less enjoyable, I would say, sometimes I have to do some admin mm -hmm. uh, work, which can be boring. Okay. Mm -hmm. And also, how do you feel um, about the challenges? What What was the biggest challenge at the beginning and now that you are already with a company for, for quite some time? Well, the, in the beginning, the challenge was really to try to understand this field because it's also new for me. Mm -hmm. uh, so really understand that I'm still learning. I mean, it's very complex uh, to get all the nuances right. What is challenging now is, um, I wouldn't say it's challenging, it's more like interesting where I don't have a background and I'm learning every day. It's really mm -hmm. all the, the, um, the decision-making strategy like on an executive level and, and um, you know, negotiation, how, how it works. For example, when we talk about uh, financial aspects with potential partners, for example, we want to make a deal, uh, what would be the economic aspect of that deal? And so how this decision is going is, is being made, what's the analytics, analytical data behind this, how the negotiation works. So that's very interesting and that's, Well, I'm learning a lot. And of course, also aspects related to equity financing. So interaction with investors, how, you know, venture capital, basically, mm -hmm. how, 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 how it works. Mm -hmm. What are the valuations? The, the level of startup, really. How do you sell the stock, the equity mm -hmm. to potential investors and what's going on around this? So I'm learning a lot about this and it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's very fun, that part as well. And um, and pitching for these big venture capital firms and and see what they they are looking for and what they invested before and and if they they will be willing to to sponsor the your work, yeah. Um, another question that I have is where do you actually see yourself? And if you want just yourself, if if you also want to mention higher therapeutics, you can. Uh, but I guess in a time frame of five years, where where do you actually see yourself and your and your career path what what are you looking for if you can share <laughs> so what i learned in my life that uh whatever plan you make it's not going to go according to this plan <laughs> no. five years ago i had no idea i'm going to be where i am today i didn't even know about the existence of of such roles for example and yeah. i wasn't even thinking about this so i wouldn't really make specific plans right now um, i mean and as you can see so in the beginning i was studying medicine i was gonna pursue this career then i decided to be a scientist i was pursuing science career and now i'm moving again to more uh, business related role or science science you know communication related role so i don't really know let's see but um i'm very interested to to be where you know where i'm now i'm learning a lot every day and it's great And I think it's great to to be in a startup in general because you get you get exposed to many different processes and you get to learn how company grows, you know you get to learn how different aspects of the company were work. Yeah. And so let's see, uh, maybe I'll say in a more senior role in a business development career or science communication or maybe marketing. I I I, I would like to be open to you know all the opportunities yeah i think you are um you believe more in the go with the flow than having a specific plan and and uh, and try to the problem is i had a specific it. plan you know mm -hmm. but then it didn't go according to this plan so <laughs> yeah so yeah, you know my, my plan was to become an expert in leishmaniasis tropical disease and then i gotta try to do step by step 
to to get there and then i saw other opportunities and then i changed on the way yeah yeah mm-hmm. because you know we we live in a bubble like academia is a bubble and you only see people working in your area around you you don't really see the world is very big and there are so okay. many other career options career like directions mm-hmm. We just don't have the, enough time and resources to explore all of them. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would ask maybe what, what would be the, the best advice you, you have been given, or what would be your advice to early career researchers uh, and PhDs who, who will be listening to this podcast, uh, who consider transitioning to, to biotech to a company, let's say, without really focusing on biotech farm. Um, so I think really. I really like this um, quote by Seneca that luck is what happens when opportunity meets preparation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what defines, you know, the cur- at least career trajectory for me is really like taking an opportunity and like and being prepared for this opportunity. And so I, I think here the advice I can give is just be willing to take the risks. Whenever you see a new door opening for you, mm-hmm. don't hesitate to take this opportunity. Like, I did in my life when, uh, you know, I, I could go to, to Israel, then I could go to Germany, to Switzerland. I had very little idea what, what I'm going to do there, but I kind of treated this as an adventure, just, mm-hmm. you know, being open to whatever comes and just jumping into this, jumping off the cliff, kind of in, into whatever is awaiting. And then, yeah, the other advice is, yes, build transferable and soft skills. It doesn't have to be presentation or communication skills, so many skills are transferable across different, you know, sectors. Can be also hard skills, for example, coding, uh, or project management skills, organizational skills. They all can be applied in many different areas. So you really need to build a skill set which is transferable. And then network, of course. You know, you, you need to make yourself visible because don't wait for somebody to come uh, and pick you from a crowd. That's mm-hmm. you have to you have to be the one <laughs> running yeah, I mean, towards your options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And maybe some fair. other good advice that mm-hmm. I received at some point is that we often follow, like everybody says, follow your passion. Mm. And it is true to some extent. But for example, you can be very passionate. I mean, I can be very passionate about the space travel, but I get dizzy on the backseat of a car. So like, can I be an astronaut? Probably not. Yeah. So it is, it is, yeah, you need to follow your interest of course but you also need to follow what you're good at and i think it's important to identify the best skill you have and then build on this because if you use that skill that you're good at and then you also improve and train it so then you'll be successful and that will give you instant satisfaction and and make make you more confident make you happy and so then it will also create more opportunities for your career so don't necessarily follow what you're interested in also follow yourself in a way what you can do well what yeah. you enjoy doing and mm-hmm. uh, and then ideally merge this with the area that you're interested in yeah so um, i guess we can finish with um, just some questions about about how people can can actually connect with you um also if uh, at higher therapeutics um which kind of expertise you are looking for because maybe our listeners are interested in the company uh, so if you could tell us a little bit about it um until we are always looking for uh, passionate scientists who are passionate you know mm-hmm. in, in solving problems, problems and like really exploring new opportunities um new types of medicine really so it's very new this stuff 
-hmm. it is very new it's very complicated so we really like to be on the frontier so if if you're not afraid to you know uh, go into unknown and explore this dark matter of the human genome and you have the the right mindset for that mm -hmm. uh, then yeah please check out we have openings uh, check out our website and apply and then to connect with me, yeah, you can use LinkedIn, you can uh, drop me email, and I'm happy to, uh, to connect with people and, uh, you know, talk, answer questions, maybe give advice if I can. And I'm also happy to talk about science communication and in general soft skills. So over the years that I've been doing all these uh, different events and really improving my science communication skills, I, I build a workshop, the best practices of how to give scientific presentation, how to structure the content, how to improve your delivery of a scientific presentation, also manage stress and prepare for Q&A sessions. So I'm happy to, to give this workshop to whoever is interested. Great. Thank, thanks a lot for that. Um, so I think it's time to wrap up. So thanks so much, Dimitri, uh, for accepting our invitation and for sharing with us your, your career path, your, your advice to PhD students who are currently asking themselves well, what I'm doing here, what's next. <laughs> um, and it was a real pleasure to talk to you. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Ines. Thanks for having me here. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. What Now? Do you want more episode updates or want to get in contact with us? Dr. What Now is on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Dr. underscore what now and on our website www drwhatnow.com. We're always looking for more guests to invite, so get in touch. See, See you, you next time. time.